0: Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today, we have Michael Stoller. He first started real estate investing in 1999, and his company now has a portfolio that includes hotels, multifamily, and residential properties. So thank you so much for being on the show, Michael.
0: Thank you very much. I'm uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. It's
1: great to have you on. Uh, so give us a little background on yourself, both uh, personally and professionally, prior to getting involved in real estate investing back in the late 90s.
0: Yeah. yeah I come from a small town in Indiana where there's nothing to do, but you know, bale hay and you know watch the corn grow. Um, and, you know, traveling up to Indianapolis, the big town, you just look at these houses and things like that. And you just figure out, man, what do these people do for a living? And, and, you know, found out a lot of them were in real estate. So I was like, well, you know, let's do it. And I picked up, as everyone does, rich dad, poor dad, and read it and decided, it's like, man, this is it. Uh, so I went to a seminar, just like probably everyone else's second step and said, oh, this is easy. So I went back to my small town and bought, uh, I ended up buying eight units and that's when it all went, started going crazy because <laughs> here's the thing, you know, in seminar land, they tell you, it's like easy, yeah. you know, here's how you buy it, but you know, if Back in the late 90s, small town Indiana, we didn't have Google. Um, I don't even know if Google was around. there. I think it probably was. But, uh, you know, you don't have laptops. You don't have that type of stuff. So I could not. There's no podcast. There's no mentors. There's no coaches. I did not know how to be a landlord. Uh, I didn't know what a lease was. I didn't know what it looked like, you know, um, five-day notices. You know, how do you evict people? I I didn't know anything. You know, the, the buying part was easy. So, um, you know, you probably get a lot of, um, get rich quick and, you know, you can be a millionaire mm-hmm. and, and, you don't probably don't get a lot of the sob stories and, and the real truth stories, but man flamed out big time. Um, and that was my first start in, into the real estate. Uh, you know, we had to give those, give them all back. Um, fast forward, uh, you know, I, I knew that that was it. I knew that that was the way to do it. So when thinking outside of the box, how could I get that knowledge? How can I get that experience to make it work the next time? So I actually went to work for a property management group. So I figured, you know, it was a a private family that owned around 8,000 units. Wow! And I figured, you know, they know what they're doing. So I went to work for them. Stole some paperwork <laughs> or borrowed, you know, <laughs> um, some paperwork. So it was like, oh, okay, that's what a lease looks like. This is what it meant, you know, the addendums and this is how you do it. And the evictions and learned a lot. Um, but it took us a little while to get out of our financial hardship. I ended up being an airline pilot. That was my career. Um, and airline pilots make decent money. So then we decided to. Let's get back into it. And boom, it was off and running. Nice. So so that's kind of the quick background.
1: Awesome. So kind of give us an idea of what your current investing strategy is. You went from like a residential multifamily Mm -hmm. and uh, a few years back or several years back, you made the switch into hotel investing. So can you Mm -hmm. explain your strategy now when looking for properties and after you acquire them, like how that all works?
0: Yeah, so what happened back in, um, let's see here, five years ago, um, I had a guy, well, it was a, it was a group out of Idaho, of all places, that was looking at a multifamily of ours in uh, the Phoenix area, and it was performing. I, I did not want to sell it, but they kept coming and coming and coming back and coming back. And, and fourth time, I said, no, you know, I'm making six figures off this thing, don't want to sell it. But then they came back. Said last here, I'm going to give you this amount, and I'd be a fool to say no. You know, it, I had it for I had that particular property for ten months, and I think we netted almost seven figures, like eight eight hundred and sixty thousand wow. uh, dollars in ten months. So I was like, I'd be a fool not to do it, right? Well, at that point, I didn't want to be buying another multifamily at three and a half cap. So I was like, what do I do? You know It's like, and again, you know for all your listeners, you know how do you get to know people? You go to your local Ria, you go to all these different events and networking Network, it's, it's all about who you know. I knew a guy that had about 15 years of hotel experience. So got with him. and how do you bust into something an asset class that you don't know about? you don't have any knowledge. What I did was I offered him, I said, "I want you to find me a property you're going to teach me how how to do it and what you're what you're doing you're going to run it for me you're going to teach me everything you know and in doing so I'll give you an actual piece of the ownership as as your hardship and he agreed to that you know because I wasn't paying him a salary to run the operations I was giving him a little bit of property management fees, but then the big thing is. I got an onsite mentor to teach me about hotels, and I gave up a small portion, you know, at the end you know, as far as ownership, and boom, got into hotels. So another thing, you know, what are we doing now? We're doing funds, um, you know, some syndications. And uh, we're so heavily invested in, in the hotel space and going to be in the future. I think it's, it's an underserved asset class that people, here's the thing. And when people say, oh my God, COVID hotels, I'm not gonna get, get in hotels. That's when you buy hotels, right? Yeah. You don't go and say, yeah, you know, it's like you go to these RIA meetings and everyone wants to be in multifamily. That's when mm. you don't invest in multifamily because we, st- we don't really do cap rates but you know, if we did convert it, you know, we're still getting 9%, 10% in, in hotels you know, on up instead of three, three and a half right now on multifamily. Uh, COVID has really changed the way that we look at hotels and what type of asset class within the hotel space. Um, and when we do hotels, it's not a three-year, like a lot of multifamily is like kind of a three-year-old or even less. Because uh, remember, hotels is a business. It's not just; it's not really real estate. It's a small business that sits on real estate. So there's a lot of uh, things to do in order to get those things going again, and, and the the gross fund, you know, the uh, gross income multipliers up, and, and all of that. So they're usually uh, five, seven, 10 year holds. You know, it's this is a we call hotel investing patient capital, patient investing. These are long-term, get the dividends, but they're long-term holds.
1: Interesting. So what are the main differences between investing in hotels versus multifamily? And I say this in the sense that you know, you're looking for multifamily and you have an idea of markets. You have an idea mm-hmm. of um, what I want to see in the neighborhood. What do you, when you go, someone sends you over an offering memorandum to mm-hmm. invest into something that's for sale for hotels, what are the first... 10 minutes that you're doing with that? What are you looking at?
0: Yeah. Uh, if it is a franchise, I look at what, what it is, uh, the, the reputation of the franchise. We only do franchised, uh, if, if we do an independent, we'll attach it to a franchise. Uh, so I look at what is it? Is it Hilton, Marriott, Radisson? What is it? The second thing is what's really, really important, even more important that we learned during COVID is what's called the driver's. What is driving someone to that hotel? Pre-COVID, I wouldn't use like one driver. Well, it's uh, next to a university. You can't go wrong there, right? Well, unless no one's going to school and no parents are going to visit the kids in school and you're, you don't have a very good asset anymore. Uh, you know, skiing or, or you know, whatever. Uh, so we look at now multiple, at least three drivers. Why are, are you going you know, uh, to this hotel, is it off of a, an interstate? So you just need a place to stay at, you know, for the night, it's just off of the interstate. Is it maybe across the street from a hospital or maybe a spring baseball training, um, vacation. So there's, there's multiple reasons why you're going to visit that hotel. That's the second thing I look at. If it's only one, I'm not going to touch it because COVID has taught us that that one thing goes down. You don't have a hotel anymore. Right. Um, some other things is the uh, the comp set the competitors that are around it Multifamily really don't need to look at that too much because you just everyone needs a house right there's just a lot of uh, places uh, uh, need for those types of things but I look at um, especially within my like if you do a choice hotel well if I do a quality and where's the nearest comfort in where's the nearest ones like it or where's the nearest, um, middle of the road, limited service type of hotels. So I look at the comp set and I, and I look at, um, the star reports. There's a lot of different reports that you can get in the hotels. Um, what's the true ADR, the average daily rate. And then we look at, you know, then you just kind of break it down, but it's, it's different from multifamily. It's And then mm-hmm. it's, it, you're running a business. So you have to look at it also as, the, the vendors and all this sort of thing and, and kind of breaking down the business side of it. When you're
1: doing this, do you ever plan on changing flags? So if it's mm-hmm. a, a Radisson, change it to something else, or if it's something maybe not as nice to something that's a little nicer of a brand.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great question. And yes, we do. Uh, you know, we had a, uh, older best Western that we converted to mm-hmm. it. It was a choice hotel. And when we do so, what we do is, um, we look at, in that area, does Best Western do well? Do well? Um, and then we also look at, why is the owner selling? What could be that Best Western is now coming in and saying, hey, you need to do a, a million-dollar, two-million-dollar renovation? Because every oh every couple of years, there's always something that the brand, the franchise is making you do. Um Furniture and uh, the brands, you know, the sign, you know, it, it's just, there's they're always updating because they always want this nice experience. And then they want a lot of equilibrium among every single hotel that's in that class. So if you have a Radisson country in suites, whether you go to Phoenix or you go to Denver, they all kind of look the same. So it's, you, every guest knows what they're getting into. And if there's one that hasn't been, they haven't been doing it. They haven't been updating it it's getting kind of old. It's like, well, do I want to spend $2 million doing the best Western or could I get a bigger brand, you know, choice hotels as millions and millions of followers and convert it to a quality because, you know, and, and spend the same 2 million and get more guests, you know, a, a better rewards program for the, the experience. Interesting.
1: And how does the financing vary between doing hotels and multifamily uh, what kind of financing terms are you guys usually finding and uh, how was that? Or if it was, I imagine it was affected by COVID and uh, <laughs> yeah. is it back to pre-COVID now or not? Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, good question. The, the first part, the, the biggest, you know, uh, when you get in a larger multifamily and you get in hotels, it's, it's a commercial loan, right? <laughs> um, the nice thing about what you have to remember with hotels is it's a business so I can get SBA loans, okay, small business administration. So I'm getting 7A loans. I'm, and so I'm getting very low um, down payments, very low um, interest rates. And so it's, they're much better, but now you're capped at, uh, I think it's still, I don't think Trump changed it, but I think it's still like a $5 million cap. So you have $5 million to play with at 2.0% interest and lower down payment. So you have to have find those banks that deal with those, those types of loans. So it's very nice. Um, as far as COVID goes, yeah, your your normal banks really aren't going to touch the hotel loans unless you're talking about, you know, $40 million, $50 million. You know, the legacy banks just don't like smaller individuals and anything probably multifamily and yeah. hotels also um but you look at the community the banks that want, really want to they come in and those are our favorite our, our best friend right. uh, the smaller community banks that says yeah mike you know we're trying to get into this market we're trying to get in this market you have experience um well you know we'll give you an eight million dollar loan or something like that um and they'd rather do the SBA you know or some type of a federal guarantee but the, the, you know that's what we look for and then i forget in multifamily it's been so long since i did my first loan uh but they require and that's why i did my this this partner on it you know they re, they require more experience because uh it is a business
1: yeah interesting yeah that's something very interesting about the community banks cuz i tell people that multifamily as well uh, especially because in a community bank, obviously, you have people that might be making the decision that drive by the asset that you're trying to acquire and reposition every day on their way to the office, and it might be a small team like be three people that make the decision mm-hmm. you know you're you're going to this large bank, I'm not going to name any, but you go to a large bank and there's a investment uh decision you know a group that uh you never talk to, you'll never see they've never even been to the town that you're trying to get financed in. right and right. unless it's unless it's you know nine figures or something you know or whatever it is eight figures, they don't care about it. And they're just like, you know, we're just, uh, we, we need to make, uh, you know, we want to make loan more money and on bigger projects, but um,
0: yeah. very interesting. And that's true. You know, cause I, I remember getting, trying to get a loan and uh, in, in Arizona and the decision makers were in Seattle and all they did was the guy Google mapped it <laughs> and <laughs> saw that there was like cars in the backyards of, the neighborhood behind us and he just immediately said no this is like the most horrible neighborhood and we're like going well you know this is arizona this is just what they do you know there's cars in the backyard you know and uh chickens you know i mean it's just you know you might see some goats chickens and a couple cars in the backyard it's just that type of neighborhood and the asset though is what you want it's 100 percent full but he just he google mapped it and said no
1: a thorough underwriting on their part. Thorough. Right? So, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, I think it's something like that. Is they
1: just don't want to make the loan, so they're just coming up with the first thing that uh, their assistant finds and uh, tell yeah. you about it. But um, well, one last thing before we get into one other part, I want to finish up with. But um, how did your hotel portfolio fare during COVID? Mm-hmm. And when you, I mean, when we went through like mid twenty twenty are these banks that you worked with, were you able to kind of like work with them on loans? I imagine there was a lot of that. Um, did mm-hmm. you find them pretty easy to work with? And there are some banks that maybe didn't and you won't do business with them again.
0: Yeah. Um, so in 2020, all of our hotels stayed open. Another uh, great advantage of hotels over multifamily is um, this might sting a little bit, but you know, I, di- I didn't have the federal government tell me I couldn't collect my rent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but luckily, my hotels are in states where the governors didn't tell me I had to shut down, and so that is one of the things that I look in the future. It's like okay, when I do some future acquisitions, it's not going to be in a state that if something happens, boom, everyone has to shut down. Everyone, no matter what, no matter how mild or or severe, and you know I'm not downplaying COVID at all, but. Uh, I want the choice, whether or not I need to, you know, can shut down or not. And it, there's a lot of hotels, a lot of small business owners, mama pops, that will never survive because certain state governors forced them to close. Um, so, one thing that we are able to get is because we're small businesses, is we we were able to get the PPP loans. Um, which is payroll protection, and the EIDL, the disaster loans. Um, So that allowed us to, you know, have a lot of capital and uh, help with payroll. So we're able to to stay open. Uh, The hotels that did well are the limited service, and then Mm -hmm. the uh, extended stay. It's the ones that concentrate, you know, we've got three restaurants, we've got you know, 10,000 square foot of uh, conference oh. space. They, they, none of that was happening. So you had all that square space that didn't do well. Uh, the banks did, were very well. You know, they, they helped us out a lot, you know, uh, four or five months of deferment. Plus, because it was an SBA, uh, the federal government stepped in and said, you know what, you don't have any payments. We're actually going to pay your payment for six months. Um, no, even no interest, you know, it's just like, boom, we're paying your, your interest or your, your payment for six months. So -hmm. because we're a business, we're able to get all these different things, and state grants, federal grants, and all this stuff to help us. Um, the banks that did not do well, the, the hotels that are not going to make it are called ones that did the CMBS loan. Mm. A CMBS is basically the stock market. You know, it's a commercial, um, it's a, it's a market backed security. Um, you can't go to the stock market and say, Hey buddy, I can't make my payment. Can I be deferred for four months? Well, they don't have that, that type of, you know, uh, they they just can't do it. And plus on the CNBS loans, you can't have a second. So they were not able to get a single PPP. They could not get any EIDL. They couldn't do anything. So they're five, six, seven months behind on payments. And even though there might be 100% occupied now or doing very very well, they're just they're too far behind. Yeah. Um, those are the assets that are getting ready to come in, and that we'll we'll look at with our funds and syndications is, is buying those up.
1: Yeah. Interesting. One last thing on the hotels before we kind of transition into a couple other questions. Um, management, I feel on multifamily or real estate in general is it makes or breaks the deal, right? So you're going into it. I imagine you're finding deals. I imagine these are um you have to do some turnover in the mm-hmm. business portion right the front office let's say mm-hmm. um wh- how does that work like tell me you're hiring them yourself who manage manages that team you know what i mean is that someone that you're doing you you know that you have that's gonna mm-hmm. they report directly to them like the manager from that from that hotel
0: yeah so we have a a team operations team that you know we'll go in and we look at an asset. So in, in the hotel space, you have what's called a general manager. Mm-hmm. He's the, he or she is the person that does the entire hotel. And then you might have a front desk manager, or a hospital, uh, like a housekeeping manager. Then you have maintenance people. You could have 18, 20 on up, you know, just depending on the size uh, that many employees. So we go in And most of the time, the general manager is gone, okay? Because the type of hotel that we look at, something's been going on. It's an out-of-state owner. The GM's been running it their way for four or five years. And the reason why we're buying is because they did a bad job. Uh, So we'll go in and bam, go out, put someone in place. And then we basically interview everyone to keep their job. You know, and it's not whether or not you're fired or not, but we don't know you. Yeah. So we interview everyone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. The general manager, I could see being the first one to go. And then Mm. you kind of go from there, you put someone else in that, uh, you know, knows how to manage a hotel. And, uh, you know, you just kind of do a little job interview for everybody else through. So, uh, makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. Um, So one thing, Michael, that um, I saw that, uh, that I'm also, I'm a huge advocate of virtual assistants and you are as well. Mm-hmm. Can you explain how you utilize How do you utilize VAs in your business, whether mm-hmm. it's managing your business or new and managing existing acquisitions or new acquisitions?
0: Yeah. Well, basically virtual assistants manage, manages my life. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, for all the investors out there, you're going to get to a point where you need help in order to grow. It's in every book. It's in every mentorship. It's in every, everyone. There's going to be a point where you're working. You are going want to work in your business or on your business. Right. So you have to get to that point. And, you know, for a lot of us, it's like, well, I can't afford, Now, $15, $20 an hour, plus vacation, plus, you know, uh, withholdings and vacation, all this stuff, all this crap that goes along with hiring people. So I utilize virtual assistants. Uh, My virtual assistants, I I loved it so much that I actually created a company called Gateway VA. Uh, My virtual assistants are out of Mexico. I love Mexico because they're basically on my time zone. Okay. They're central time zone. Um, I text them. They respond. Um, I don't like the Philippines. You know, there's nothing wrong with the VAs themselves and the workers themselves, but I don't want to get emails at two o'clock in the morning. I don't want to write something and then get the response at two o'clock in the morning. I want almost immediate. Um, I I have my own podcast. My, I have a a virtual assistant that's in charge of my podcast. They, they, schedule everything. They do my show notes. They do the bio. They, they, they basically do everything. All I do is look at my calendar. Like today. Oh, I have a nine thirty o'clock podcast. Um, and I didn't really do a lot of it. You know, the interaction, um, they also input all my bills into like QuickBooks for the hotels, each individual, they just get all the bills and boom, they put them all in. Um, they just do every, all of that remedial, uh, minimum wage type jobs. They do it at a third of the third of the cost. You know, these are college educated people that are smart, want to work a fraction of the cost. Nice.
1: So if someone wants to hire their first VA, like how do you suggest they go about it and what should they avoid mm-hmm. when they're doing it?
0: Yeah, a good question. You know, um, there's two types of ways to do a VA. And it depends on what you want. If you, if you don't care about having a single person. Now, you know, my VAs, I've had them for several years. And it's one person, they're, they're like my employee. But if you're just looking for someone to call, you know, call lists and call, you know, tax liens and things like that. There's two types of VAs. One is you're going to work through a company that handles a pool, they may have a hundred VAs working for them and you have this task done and you won't get the same VA twice. Okay. You have that. You have to decide, is that what you want? And then they get a kick. You know, they may be paying the, the VA $5 an hour, but you're paying them 10 and they get the, the VA gets five and, and the company gets five. Um, and if you don't want any personal type of assistant, then that's the way to do it. The other type is like my company and, and like, you know, a lot of the others where you're just paying me a one-time finder's fee. Okay. And then we guarantee, I mean, you're going to do the interviews. You're going to set up the job descriptions. You're going to do everything. You interview these people, you find someone that works for you, and then they become your assistant and you can have them for, you know, 90 days or five years, but it's one person and those people learn your systems. They learn how you do things. They, they learn everything about your business and they become your right-hand person. That's the other thing. And then what you do is you just pay them like you'd be paying. I, I, I'm not going to say like a regular employee because you have all these withholdings where you're going to pay them directly. And I'm completely out of the picture. I just have that one-time fee. Um, and then, you know, we have a guarantee that, that they'll work out, but those are the type of things. Um, okay. Just keep in mind, you know, what type of VA do you want and how much involvement do you want? You know, do you want just a pool of people or do you want an actual assistant?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. The other thing, too, is I always say like start with a couple tasks because
1: you're not comfortable if it's your first VA. And then mm-hmm. there's, t- and then just kind of add on to it as you get comfortable with them. And by the end of the time, you'll know you're like, wow, this person's working like 20 hours a week for me, like taking off all these things yeah. off my, off my, uh, off my mm-hmm. plate. But,
0: oh, and another thing is, don't be picky about you know I'm paying them forty you know for forty hours a week and you know I need to make sure they're working forty hours. It's like it, don't worry about that because the the pay for forty hours is nothing and all you care about is are they getting everything done that you want them yeah. to. Don't be the micromanager with the virtual assistants.
1: Yeah. It's like property management. Yes, we know that somebody that's going to manage yeah. your property is not going to do as good as yours. They're not going to do as fast as you. They're not going to do everything mm-hmm. that's right. But uh, what do you care if you're paying someone a few dollars an hour and it takes right. them twenty five percent longer? It it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Um, but Michael, so tell me about what common mistakes that you see real estate investors make.
0: Oh boy, yeah. Well, I've probably made all of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, don't do it yourself is the biggest thing. Okay learn. Um, You're going to spend money anyway. All right. So you can spend money making mistakes or you can spend money paying a mentor or reading books and doing it correctly. And if you pay the same amount and do it correctly, then where you're gaining is in time, it's going to take you a lot less time. Because if you pay the same amount and just keep making mistakes, you want to learn from your mistakes, but I'd rather you learn from my mistakes. Okay. And Charles mistakes and then do it correctly. And you'll be successful quicker. That's the first thing. Get a mentor. Uh, The second thing is build a team. Team is so important. Um, I'd never go to legal (laughs) zoom, you know, um, to get paperwork. I have an attorney I have a, a, a CPA that knows real estate. I have, you know, the contracts attorneys. I I have uh, my eviction attorneys. I have um, my syndication paperwork attorneys. I have all these. This team. I have my assistants. So, the first thing is find out, and then the third thing is find out what your unique ability is. What do you love to do? Um, is it finding acquisitions? Is it maybe you love running the day to day? Maybe you like being the landlord, figure out what you like to do, because if you only do what you love to do, you'll be more successful. My problem was I got so bogged down in doing everything that I wasn't growing my business. So if finally, in, in one of my coaching sessions, I need to start delegating concentrate on my unique ability.
1: Okay. And uh, our second to last question, what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success?
0: Oh, good question. Um, analytics. I'm very good at analyzing deals. Um, and when you analyze deals, here's the thing: is when you get into real estate investing, it's no longer a personal decision. It's no longer is it pretty? You know, it's like the real the residential real estate. Oh, it needs to have the granite countertops. It has to have a view. I don't care what it looks like. Does it make me money? Okay. That's the first thing that you have to really get down into it and don't take anything personally. If you're going to be in multifamily, you're going to be called every name in the book. Um, remember, this is a business decision. And the fact that you're evicting people in these things, don't take things personally. It's a business because if you took it personally and then no one got evicted, because remember, if you slack on one person, they're going to talk to every 50 other, other people. And then everyone's going to say, well, you, They didn't have to pay. I don't have to pay. Then it just snowballs. So everything is a business decision. I'm sorry that you're a single mother with three kids, but you haven't paid me, you know? So make that, get that fine line of it's a business decision, and this is a business. Number three is why are you doing this? What is your purpose of investing in real estate? Um, mine's not the money. It may, it may be at the beginning, but money will come. For me, it is, and I have it above in my office every day. I look at it. My goal is to build a life that I don't need a vacation from. And that's my mantra that I look at every day. So find out why you want to do this and why you want to be successful at it.
1: I love that. That's, uh, that's great. Uh, so how can our listeners learn more about you and your businesses, Michael?
0: Our website is uh, Gateway PE is in private equity GatewayPE.com. Find me on LinkedIn under Michael Stoller, S T O H L E R, and uh, let me know how you found me, and I'll be uh, be happy to answer any questions you have.
1: Yeah, and on that website as well, just for listeners, uh, he has links to obviously his investing business, but also to his VA business. So if you want to learn more about that, it's very interesting. And I want to thank you, Michael, for coming on today and uh, looking forward to touching base with you in the near
0: future. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a nice week. You too.
1: Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you.